0: If you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, please feel free to grab one of the blue hardback Bibles underneath the seat in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible that's your own, uh, that isn't a translation that you would understand, then it is large print edition for all of you that need glasses, like myself, um, which by officially last year, this is a big announcement, but I officially went to, uh, uh, to well, they're, they're bifocals, I guess, traditionally, but now they call them progressives, Right. So, progressives, right? So, it used to be bifocals, but now we're progressives. So, officially, I've moved into the progressive category. Thank you very much. So, do we have any other progressive people in this world? Look at all you progressives in your vision. So congratulations. Um, but it is large print. If you need that, we'd love for you to take it home with you. If you need a Bible and a translation that you can understand. Um, if you're joining with us the first time, have you not been with us for a while? Um, then maybe this is the first you've heard that we've been in a series since February called Spirit Led. We spent the month of February talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in us and lives in us, and how the Holy Spirit, when we follow Christ and we choose to become a follower of Christ, He indwells us and changes us. He gives us the strength to live the life God has called us to live. And it comes from Galatians 5.16 that says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. That is the important message of Christians as a follower of Christ, that we are continuing to live a life. If it was God's plan for us to take us home at the moment that we become saved, we would be gone. But we still have a life to live on this side of eternity. And as we walk it out, we can choose to follow our lead or we can follow God's lead. And we follow the Holy Spirit. He guides our lives and he changes us to look more like Jesus. That's what spirit-led means. It means that when we become spirit-led, we look more like Jesus and we look less like ourselves. And every one of us that puts our faith in Christ, every one of us is called to look less like ourselves and more like Christ. Are you with me so far? You guys good? So is everyone awake this morning? I just want to make sure everyone's awake. That's good, right? I know the rain can be like, woo, but I mean, we're all here, right? We're all good. So that's good because you're not going to fall asleep this morning. I promise you that. We're going to have a good time. Um, We have the ability to look more like Jesus when we allow the Spirit to lead us. That is the purpose and that is the goal of this life. To look more like Jesus and less like ourselves. So over the last number of months, we've been looking at what it means to be spirit-led in our relationships. You cannot be spirit-led if you do not have a relationship with God. If you're not a follower of Christ, you cannot be spirit-led. It all begins with giving your life to Christ, letting the Holy Spirit inhabit you by giving your life to Christ, believing what he did on the cross, and asking him to save you. And it's that beginning, it's the journey that begins at that point where then he instructs you as the great counselor to become less like who we are and more like he is. You know, I was very young when I officially made that decision. My mom tells me I was four or five years old. I don't remember that. I remember being in eighth grade at a Christian camp. Some of you ever heard of Word of Life Camp in Scroon Lake, New York? Anyone ever heard of that place up in New York? Look, hands, got a couple hands. That's good. I remember being at a campfire, giving my life to Christ at that moment, saying, I'm going to officially walk and be in relationship with you. And from that point, my life is supposed to start to look different. When I'm happy to report that I do look different today than I did then. Of course, I look different physically, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about my heart. That there are things that I participate in today—I'm sorry, things I participate in then that I would not participate in today. There are things that I would have said or done then that I would not do today. That's the whole process. It's called sanctification. And that's what God wants each one of us to pursue. So that's what it means to be spirit-led. Last week, Pastor uh, Matt did a great job talking about one of the components or characteristics of being spirit-led is learning to have hard conversations. He talked about that hard conversations are important for us as followers of Christ to do if we want to be spirit-led in our relationships. And the main point he was trying to say was that we have to focus on the eternal gain instead of the temporary pain that having a hard conversation is not easy for a lot of people to do. And if we set our eyes, though, on the eternal benefit of how we're calling people up to a better place, to where God wants them to be, as opposed to calling them out, it doesn't become about today. It becomes about the big picture, spiritually and eternally. You with me? Big deal. He said we do that by calling people up and also focusing on the root of the issue and not just looking at the behaviors or the fruit. Today, I thought it was appropriate for us to continue that conversation and talk about reconciliation because I think we would all agree that if you're going to follow that instruction last week and have hard conversations, there may be a need for reconciliation, right? We have difficult conversations, and sometimes there needs to be a need for conversation to happen afterwards because people can be hurt, people can be offended. How do you deal with offense? How do you deal with things that ultimately can divide as opposed to, to unify. So today we're talking about reconciliation, and I call the message Make It Right. Now let me explain what reconciliation is, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about why we should live a lifestyle of reconciliation and then how we actually do it. But this is what reconciliation means. It's a term indicating a repaired relationship, okay? A repaired relationship between persons or groups who were formerly at hostility with each other. So it's the repairing of a relationship between a person or persons and a group or groups who were formerly at hostility with each other, okay? It, reconciliation bridges over quarrels to reestablish relationships. Reconciliation is not just about saying, I forgive you. It's about actually reconnecting relationships between people or groups, Okay. That's what true reconciliation means, and that's what we're talking about. We need reconciliation in our lives because people become hurt. This is the truth. How many of us, I wonder, would agree to the fact that we can hurt people and people can hurt us? And if I ask you to raise your hand today, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand today. This is an interactive question today, okay? How many of us, since the beginning of this year, in 2019 have had a quarrel and have either hurt somebody or have been hurt. In 2019, how many of you either put your hands up high? Okay, I'm not saying that you're the offender. I'm saying you've either offended someone or someone has offended you. In 2019, now keep them up. Keep them up. Come up. Be proud of your offense. No, look look at the people around you. Just look around. Look around. You have so much in common with like 90% of the people in this room. The rest of you, I just need to learn. Okay, you can put your hand down. Okay, but 90 plus percent of the people in this room put their hands up and said, you know what? Just in the last four and a half months or five months, I have either offended someone, hurt someone, or I have been hurt. So, how do we deal with offense? How do we handle offense? There are ways that we deal with it. I've, I've drawn it down to, I think, four ways that I believe, as people, we handle offense. Four different ways that we handle offense. And I want to show them to you today, okay? Here's some of the ways we deal with offense. Number one, we run. We run from offense, okay? This is what I call the avoider, You know, the person that is offended or has offended someone else, and they run from it. These are the people that intentionally avoid the possibility of reconciling. They avoid talking about it. They avoid having any discussion. They don't want to think about it. They avoid the person however possible. I'm talking about the individual who, like like goes to the supermarket and bumps into someone or sees them from a distance and intentionally shops in the opposite direction to not have a conversation with them. Anyone know? You don't have to raise your hand. You know anybody that's like that? If you know somebody that's ever done that, raise your hand. That's not you. So I'll put my hand up because I've done it, okay? I'll be the first to tell you that I've done it. I've seen people sometimes and I'm like, wow, like they really hurt me. Like I need to not go that direction. And I've done that at times in my life. I'm not proud of it, but it's happened. Some of you agree with me, so don't judge me. Okay? Because I know that we've done that sometimes. I'm talking about people that intentionally walk away to avoid. They go the long way. Like their GPS in their mind gets recalculated over and over and over again to make sure that their lives don't intersect with the people that they have hurt or people that have hurt them. Make sense? Big, big deal. People like to run away. That is very (laughs) legitimate situation. You're at the 11 o'clock service today. Let's get real. You may be at the 11 a.m. service today because there's somebody in the 9 o'clock that you don't want to see. (laughs) Don't even think for a moment that doesn't happen. It absolutely happens. And it's funny to laugh about it, but it's true. People will avoid. It's one of the ways that we handle offense. We run. Well, a second way that we handle offense is to retaliate. These are the warmongers. These are the people that look at their lives and instead of dealing with the situation peacefully, they throw gasoline on the offense. They say things like this. I was hurt. And because I was hurt, I am now going to what? Hurt in return. You hurt me. So now I'm going to what? Hurt you. And this is how people handle offense sometimes. You crossed me. Now I'm going to cross you. Don't even think, you know, like I'm thinking like the Marvel movie that just came out, like Avengers Endgame. I'm sure like a lot of people are talking about that. You know, I'm not going to give it away. Don't Matt, it's covering his ears. I'm not going to give anything away. Okay, everybody, I think the whole world dies though. That's what I heard. So I don't know. But anyway, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I've never actually, I didn't see it. So I don't know anything about it. But I think about like the Incredible Hulk in the Avengers movies. You know, when I was a kid, I used to like watch some of the Hulk movies and stuff. And one of the things that they used to say over and over again was like, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry." Now, how many times do we look at people through that lens and we say, you know what, you offend me? Watch out, because I'm going to bury you. And I know people that say those words, that have actually talked like that. Someone crossed me, someone hurt my family, someone hurt this. Oh, I'm going to bury them. And that's how we handle offense. We go after them with all guns blazing. We retaliate and we say, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Interesting observation. This is the most popular response when you're in grade school. Am I right? When you're a little kid, first grade, second grade, someone comes up to you and goes, takes your stuff, pushes you down. How many kids in second grade, or well, after crying, how many kids after like in third grade, fourth grade, go up to the other fourth grader and say, I just need to offer you forgiveness (laughs) because you've wounded me. What do they do? You took my apple, I'm taking yours. You punch me, I'll punch you. You push my bike down, I'm pushing your bike down. This is what they do. This is what children do. And yet we're adults, and we do the same thing. Our world does this. Just look at the world around us. Look at social media. Look at the news broadcasts around us. What do they teach us all throughout our world? Somebody hurts you, you hurt them right back. You know, if you want to have a little fun, just I shouldn't advocate this, but if you want to have fun, go listen to like social media posts and how people like respond to different things. And they're like, yeah, well, you're dumb. Well, you're dumber. Well, you're more dumb. Well, you're the dumbest. And people go back and forth and they just retaliate back and forth. Retaliation is a way to handle offense, it's not a good way. In fact, retaliation is never good medicine for an offense, yet we do it. The third way we handle offense is we resign ourselves to it. I call this the acceptor. This is the individual that looks at this. They look at the person who has offended them or the person they've offended, and they've just come to this conclusion that it's just the way of life. You know what? Our relationships, we've just parted ways, and that's just the way it is, and there's never going to be any reconciliation. We've never done anything about it to try to fix it. Or You know, it's just it's just the way it is, and the danger about the person that just says the way that it is, that it can't be repaired, is that relationships that could be restored are forever lost. I look personally at my own life and that some of you that know my history and know some of my stories over the years know that when I was four years old, my grandmother passed away and my, my grandfather um, uh, picked up all his stuff and he moved to Florida and married some other lady and I didn't see him again until I was 31 years old. 27 years. 27 years. There's a fence that's never dealt with. It's just the way of life. It's just the way that our family does things, people say. You ever have anyone ever say that? We just don't get over things. We just talk about it. We just resign ourselves to the fact that relationship may not be reconnected. Can I tell you, that is a perverse way of a new normal. That is not the accurate way. That is not what God teaches us is supposed to happen. And it's dangerous for us just to write it off. We can get into this rhythm if we're not careful of being one of those kind of people where someone hurts us or we hurt someone else and the relationship starts to divide and go south, that we just write them off. And we say, you know, we were in relationship for a while, but, you know, our relationship's over because my offense is more valuable than relationship with you. So we define our our offense as a high value and a relationship as a low value so we part ways and we justify our behavior. It's just the way it's going to be. And maybe you know people like that where they have good relationships with people for a while and it's good and it's good and it's good and something goes bad and then they just write them off and they move on to the next person and they move on to the next person and they move on to the next person. That is an unhealthy way of dealing with offense because that is not what God has called us to do. This is incredibly dangerous in our relationships, especially in close relationships, in our marriages, with our children, with our spouses, with our families. Because when we hit the threshold that we're done and the relationships part, we think sometimes in our mind that we can control the carnage, but we can't. It goes far, much further than just you or the other person. It affects families and neighbors and communities and children, and it continues to, to eke its way out. And it has many, many, many little tentacles that affect a whole lot of people. Resigning ourselves to it is an unhealthy way of looking at it because there's a lot of consequence that we don't even recognize sometimes. So you can run from your offense. You can retaliate for an, from an offense. Or you can resign yourself to think that reconciliation is not possible and we're always going to be at odds with each other. The fourth way that we handle offense is the way God wants us to handle to it, and that's to reconcile. We're supposed to reconcile offenses. Now, this means we're supposed to do the hard work and make it right. Now, I'm going to speak pretty directly about a few things, and I want to be very clear about it, that it's not just my opinion, it's what I see in Scripture. And some of the stuff you may like to hear, and some of it you're going to sit here and go, I, I came here this morning to hear that because it's not my opinion. It's what I see in the scripture. So I'm going to be real honest about that. I don't say it with closed fists. I say it with open hands. Okay, let me ask this question. Is reconciliation, according to scripture, according to God's plan, always the right goal? Yes. Reconciliation in every relational offense is always God's goal for us. Always, without any exception, reconciliation, the restoration of a, of a relationship is always God's goal. Now, does reconciliation mean the relationship will always be the same as it was before? No. Just because there is a reconciliation and then there is a restoration of relationship does not mean that your relationship will always be the way that it was. And I'm not going to put examples in place to say when it should or when it shouldn't. It's not my place to say. I'm just saying when you take a step back and you look at the way God created us, as He created us as followers of Christ, what His work is and what He's done, relationship is always the goal to reconnect relationship. It is His goal even if the relationship doesn't always look the same as it did before. So why should we reconcile? Because you might hear those things and go, okay, I got a lot of things in my mind that I'd like to talk about, but how do I do this? Why would I reconcile? What's the point of me reconciling? And here's the big piece that I want you to hear this morning. The message of God's love is the message of reconciliation. Why should we reconcile? Why should we be passionate about taking relationships that were divided and reestablishing relationships? with each other, because the message of God's love, the good news message of God's love through his scripture is the message of reconciliation. If people were going to try to take the word of God, all 66 of these books, and put them together and summarize them into one word, they may come up with a few different words that they would use. One of the words I would use is reconciliation. This book is about reconciliation. How God takes something that was destroyed, relationship between us and him, a problem that guess who caused? We caused, that we created the offense, and God pursues us to restore the relationship. And Jesus Christ is the way that he does it. He does it through sacrifice on the cross. He does it through... The resurrection from the grave. He does it through the empowerment and the Holy Spirit now deposited in us to teach us how to live a godly life. It is all about a message of reconciliation. God's message to you and God's message to me is that he is bringing relationship back into play between us and him. You with me? You got it? This is the whole message of the word of God, and this is what God's pursuit for us is, to reconcile. So he is the authority on this, and he teaches us that reconciliation is his plan. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to walk through some of the pieces of where we get this from, and then I'm going to talk to you about a couple of practical steps. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse, verse 14, let's read what Paul writes. He says, Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Okay, let's read on. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Here's what's going on here. He's looking at this and he's saying, listen, we need to remember as followers of Christ, Christ's love controls those who are followers of Jesus. Some translations say compels us. We believe that Christ died for all of us. And because he died for all of us, we also died to our old life. What does that mean? It means that through his death, follow me on this. When he died, he paid the price. And the price that he paid bought my life. His price that he paid on the cross bought my life, bought your life, which means I am no longer in control of my life. You are no longer in control of your life. Our lives submit to Jesus. See, that is like mind-blowing for people sometimes because they go, wait a minute, like, I know Jesus, I said a prayer, I went to church, I go to church, I do this thing here and there, but I just live my life. Like, I do what I do. Like, I don't do a lot of scripture reading, I maybe attend an event every once in a while, but I just do what I want to do. And I think how I want to think, and and things don't go right, but, but God loves me, right? What the scripture is saying here is that he paid the ultimate price. And what he bought was your life. What he bought was my life. And when he buys our lives... He has control over our lives. He imparts a new role, a new responsibility in you, in me, that says we are no longer in control of this life. Jesus is in control of our lives. That's so powerful. It's so powerful. When you think about it that way, it just blows me away when I think about it. Maybe you've ever been to a, a restaurant. You've ever been to a restaurant that had like really like not great food or bad service? You ever been to a place like that and you're like, I am never going back to that place? ever had an experience like that? You can raise your hand on that one. Anybody? Good, good. I went, remember going to a place in North Jersey, and uh, I went there twice, and each time that I was there, one right after the other, it was an Italian restaurant. There was a big black hair in my ravioli each time. So, right, everyone, yeah, ew, oh, it's gross. It was just, it was wonderful. I'm just kidding. Um, but you know what I said after the second visit? Because the first time I didn't pay, and the second time I went for free as well. I was like, I'm never going back again. Um, never going back again. Fast forward another you know, like a year and a half or two years after I went to that place, you drive by and there was this big banner on front of the restaurant, and it didn't say closed. You know what it said? Under new ownership. Under new ownership. Now, why would that banner be on that restaurant that would say under new ownership? I'll tell you why. Because a lot of people that went to that restaurant knew they were getting hair in their food, or the food wasn't too good. Or there was a problem with the business. And when people walk away, they're like, I'm what? I'm never going back. But when the sign says under new ownership, what is it saying? There's a new boss of this place. And as a result of the new boss, there's a lot of what? Changes. And what you expected before, you're not gonna see anymore. So we want you to come and experience something new. This is like what happens when we give our lives to Christ. He paid the price for us. So when, we ex- when he extends the gift and you and I accept that gift and become saved, we trust in Christ. It's like a new banner gets put right across our hearts. And it says, under new ownership. And what's the point of that? It's the point of us saying to the world, just like we do in water baptism, like we did last week, I am no longer my own. I don't run my own life. I don't do my own stuff. My life doesn't belong to me. My life belongs to Christ. And what is Christ's ministry? And what is Christ's purpose? It's reconciliation. Still with me? You guys? Putting both hands up like I'm in trouble. Still with me? Good, good. That's what it comes down to. This is, like, this is great. Isn't this great? You don't own your life anymore if you're a follower of Christ. I don't own my life anymore. You might say, is he crazy? What do you mean this is great? I mean... He loves us enough to give us life so that in his sacrifice, we can live with him here and for eternity. Like we got to open our eyes to this and say, this is what it means. And when we're under new ownership, we follow his leading and his planning and his purpose for our life. Let's look at verse 16. So we have stopped. Look what happens under new ownership, under new ownership. We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. It is so clear what Paul is saying here. When we are transformed and we are under new ownership, our vision changes. We don't see Jesus as just A good guy who taught some things, who gave us the the opportunity to experience eternal life if we go to church and then we live our lives and we wonder why things don't look a whole lot different. No, he's saying when Christ saves you and you receive that gift, you are transformed. You are no longer your own boss. Your vision changes. Jesus is no longer just a good guy. He is the son of God and he is the guy that we serve. He is the one that we adore. He's the one that changes us and transforms us, and we don't just see him differently. We see everyone differently. We see our resume differently. We see the gifts that God has given us to be used for the kingdom of God, not for our own kingdoms. We see our priorities in line to be God's priorities. Follow me? This is how it works. This is how it changes. And what he's saying, how differently we know him. Look at verse 17. In verse 17, he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. We are no longer the way that we used to. We have to look differently because our lives don't belong to us anymore. And one of the ways we look differently is to embrace this ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 18. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us, look, he brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. He extended an arm and he rescues us from our own depravity. And he did it through Christ. And through that reconciliation, as now we are new people, you and I can't live for us, we have to live for him. This is what the whole word is about. You and I live for him. We don't live for us. It's not just a message of words. It's a message of action. Look at verse 19. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is how he sees us. He doesn't count our sins against him anymore. And he gives us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we have a responsibility today as God doesn't count our sins against us. We don't count others' sins against us. As God forgives us so we can be in relationship with Him. We give the message to others that there is a there is a restoration, a forgiveness that God can give so others can be in relationship with God. We are reconciled with Him and we help reconcile others to Him and to ourselves. We still good? We're still good? A lot of stuff, but they have to lay that foundation because if we don't see that this comes right from Scripture and the ministry of reconciliation and what God has given us, then we can't take these steps and we won't be motivated to take the steps. We're under new ownership, and this is how we do it. So you might be here this morning saying, okay, the four steps to practice reconciliation. What are the four steps to practice reconciliation, Pastor Paul? I'm glad you asked because we're going to talk about this just for a couple of minutes this morning, okay? And, and I'm going to tell you some of these things are not mind-shattering profound, They've been in Scripture, and they just need to get from our brains to our hearts. They need to get from our ears to our feet. We just need to do it and not just talk about it. But four steps to practice reconciliation. The first step is simply this. Wash your own face before washing theirs. Okay, you might say, what are you talking about? Wash your own face before washing theirs. What does that mean? Let me explain that here in Matthew chapter 7. Look at what Jesus says in verse 3. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. What he's really saying here is that look at yourself first. See your own physical condition. How dirty is your own life or your own face before you point out the dirt in someone else's. Make sense? sense? That's what he's saying. It's not about looking at that person and saying, you know, look at their issues, look at their problems. That is one dirty dude. God's saying, before you look at that person, pick the mirror up and look at yourself and go, how dirty are you first? Clean yourself first. And let me clean you before you go point out someone else's dirt. That's really what he's talking about here. It requires self-reflection and humility. You have to be humble and you have to be self-reflective in this. We have to start from that perspective. We have to ask ourselves, and this is a hard question, but we have to ask ourselves this, what part have I played in this offense? You see, it's easy for us sometimes to look at a situation where there's offense and see what the other person has done to cause the offense, right? We're really good at that. Like we don't even need a school for that. We just know that intuitively to see what somebody else did wrong. But as someone told me many years ago, there's always three sides to a story. There's your side, their side, and the truth. So what part do you have in the process? And even if your part is 10% and their part was 90% or 95 and 5%, you still have to deal with your part. And what I have found in my life, personally what I find in my life, is that when I take the time and I make the steps, take the steps, I'm sorry, to actually look internally... And I say, God, teach me and show me what I have done either to cause this situation, what is my part in this, what do I need to confess to you, that when I go to God with open hands like that and he speaks to my own heart about areas that need to change, when it comes time for me to go and have the conversation with somebody, I go humbly. I go in love. I go in grace. I go with hands open, not with hands closed. I'm not looking to punch I'm looking to receive and draw people closer. So we have to first look at ourselves. And I think that's why it's it's the most important step. Because we always have to be willing to look at ourselves in any situation, whether we were offended or we caused an offense, and say, God, what do we need to change about who we are first so that we can walk this out with an attitude of humility? Humility takes all of the fire and it just calms the storm so that when we approach people, we approach them with an attitude of love. Our approach changes when we see our faults and our shortcomings. It changes the way we see others. Okay? So far, so good? We good? Point one? Point two? Okay, how do we practice reconciliation? Here's the second one. Okay, again, go to others when they have offended you. Go to others when they have offended you. Notice I didn't say, go to everyone else except the person that's offended you first. I said, go to others when they have offended you. Don't retell your story to everybody else. What Jesus says in Matthew 18 is go to them first. Look what he says in verse 15. If if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. See, go privately and point out the offense. Go privately and point out the offense. Hey, hey, Cooper, go privately and point out the offense, okay? Can you do that? go privately and point out the offense, okay? Good. Why are you staying this over and over, Paul? Because we're so bad at this. I'm really bad at that. Over my years, I've struggled with that. Oh, I wrestle with it. I'm praying with it. I'm calling my friend. Can I talk to you about something I'm struggling with? I just don't really know where to go with this. And this person, you know, it's really a hard, what do I say? And how do I do that? And and listen, there's nothing wrong with getting some counsel from someone, but you need to be very careful here. The scripture doesn't say, present your case to everybody who will support you first. It says, go deal with it privately with the individual. That's what Jesus says. His words, not mine. Be mad at him, not me. I'm just saying what's in here. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Isn't that awesome? It's like saying if there's an offense there and it's a little seedling that comes up, the first thing you should do is go right to them directly, take it, and then present it. If they agree with you, it gets ripped out. Issue is resolved. It's over. And it's a beautiful thing when that happens. The problem is that we don't do that very quickly. We let it ruminate and sit and we wait and we come up with other alternatives and we're not sure what we want to do with it. And, and, and I continue to say over and over again, when, when seeds grow into little seedlings, they're so easy to pull out of your garden. But when they become weeds with deep roots, and tentacles that stretch all through your garden. You have to rip up large amounts of soil, and it wreaks damage on everything around them. Don't let footholds become strongholds, and don't let seeds become weeds. If there's a problem that needs to be dealt with, an offense that you're aware of, that that someone has caused you, go privately to that person. Point it out. If they listen to you, you have won that person. Verse 16. Well, Pastor Paul, what if they don't listen to me? I'm glad you asked. But if you're unsuccessful, he says, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. You see, Scripture doesn't say just figure it out between the two of you. If they're unwilling to have the conversation, get somebody else involved at that point and say, now we need to have a conversation. Why? Not to make someone uncomfortable, not to back them in a corner, but to promote reconciliation. It's all about reconciliation, guys, because Jesus is a minister of reconciliation. Look at verse 17. If the person still refuses to listen... Take your case to the church. Now, now this does not mean, I've heard people say, bring it to the church. It doesn't mean come up on a Sunday morning and stand up here on the stage and go, excuse me, everyone, I just need you to know, um, uh, last week, Pastor Rob was a real bonehead, and he's not listening to my, my, my issue, and he refuses to pay attention to me, and you all need to know that. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's not true. Pastor Rob, actually, he wasn't a bonehead last week. It was Pastor Matt, but we're going to leave it at that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You're great. We love you. I'm just kidding. Um, it had nothing to do with that. Just a silly example. It doesn't mean come and publicly declare it to the church. It means bring it to the leaders and the authorities that God has placed over you in the church to say, if they won't listen to you and they won't listen to the group of witnesses that come with you, bring it to the leadership. Why? Because reconciliation is what matters. Okay? Follow me? So important to do that. And then he says after that, then if he or she still won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. And, and as a kid, I always used to look at that and be like, oh, a pagan is a tax collector? Oh, that means I can kick them because they're a pagan and a tax collector, which is the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying. How does Jesus tell us to treat people that are our enemies? He says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So what he's really saying here is, even if that person is not coming to you, then you have to extend even more grace, even more love to forgive them and demonstrate the love of Christ as you would someone who's never even heard of the gospel or isn't a follower of Christ. That's the way it works, and that's what we're supposed to do. It's not about being vindicated. It's all about reconciliation. So that's the second step. Go to others when they have offended you. Number three, how do you practice reconciliation? Number three is this. Go to others when you have offended them. See the difference here? In the first one, it was go to, uh, go to them if they've offended you. But now it's go to others when you have offended them. Matthew 5, 23 through 24, Jesus says this. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Listen, we may not be held accountable for causing an offense, but we will all be held accountable for how we address an offense. And in this situation, Jesus covers the other side of it and says, it's not just if someone sins against you that I want you to reconcile. If you are aware of an offense you have caused, I want you to reconcile. In fact, he's being so specific about it, saying don't go to the temple and worship in our world 2019. We'd say, don't come to church on Sunday, sing your songs, have your communion, do your thing and leave and not deal with the issue. Deal with the issue first and then come back and worship because offense creates separation between us and others and us and God. Proverbs 18, 19 says, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. And I've seen some fortified cities in my life And I have been a fortified city at different times in my life. And if my heart is fortified against someone else, it's also unable to hear from God. This is so important for us. So in a worship time, we can't raise our hands and do communion and all that stuff. When we know somebody else is offended by us, Jesus says, stop what you're doing and go make it right. Well, well, I wasn't the one that was offended. They're offended by me. I don't even know why they're offended by me. I'm going to wait And when they're willing to have a conversation with me, then I'll have the conversation. Isn't that the right response? No, it's the wrong response. We go, what, seriously? No. When you're made aware of the offense, Jesus says, go deal with it. But what if somebody else comes to me and tells me that they're offended, that someone else is offended? You ever had that situation happen where someone comes up to you and says, you know, I just need you to know that so-and-so and and I had a conversation and, and they're hurt by something that you did you know, da-da-da-da-da. I just want to let you know. And then they say this to you. Oh, please don't say anything to them about it. Because if you do, then what's going to happen? They're going to know that I'm not a what? A safe place. That I can't be what? Trusted and confidence. So can I tell you, if you're that third person and you're telling somebody else that they have caused an offense on someone else, you have no right to tell them not to tell the other person. Because if you follow scripture and you see what God's teaching us and what Jesus is saying, when I am made aware of the offense, I am compelled to go make it right. Don't tell me to not do it. That's about you and not about me. And I want to love you and I want to honor you. And I don't want to make the relationship between you and the other person problematic. But I love Jesus more than I love you. And he says, do it. So I want to do it. So here's my counsel to those people that want to share that. When you know someone else is offended by someone and you go to that second person and go, they're offended by you. If you're going to say it, get ready for them to act. And if you're not willing to let them act, shut your mouth. Isn't that encouraging? Like, just don't say anything. Well, I want them to know. Why do you want them to know? Why do you want them to know if you don't want them to do anything about it? That's torture. It's disobedient to God's word. It's disobedient. Well, I don't want to be be seen as a traitor. I don't want to be seen as someone who's not safe. You're not helping anybody. Go back to the first person and go, I told them. Well, how could you do that? You betrayed my trust and everything. Well, I did betray your trust. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have betrayed your trust. But you know what? They want to come talk to you. (gasps) How could you let them come talk to me? I don't want them to do that. Well, because they love Jesus enough to reconcile. And they don't want there to be a problem between you and them. You see where I'm going with this? Like this really impacts the way that we live. So if you're one of those people that wants to speak to someone and let them know that someone else is offended, but you don't want them to go to them, stop it. In Jesus' name, stop. Because when the person takes this, world serious, this word seriously, you are going to become offended. Because they're not going to listen to you. And they're going to say, I love you, but I love my Savior more. I have to go to them because you told me. Can I tell you, I've done that with people in my life. Especially in pastoral ministry. Man, it's easy to offend people. Some of you may be offended right now. (laughs) I love you, but you may be offended. Man, when I'm made aware of stuff like that and people come and they're like, you know, someone's struggling with that. I'm like, well, did you ask them to come talk to me? Yes. Well, do they want to come? No. Well, I'm sorry. I need to go have a conversation. Pastor, please don't do that. And I'm like, I have to. I have to model it. It's what the word says. What's the alternative? Sit around for weeks or months or can we be honest? Years. When someone never comes to you about something and you see years later, it's still there. Shame on us for not doing that. Shame on me for doing that. I look back at my life and I go, God, shame on me for not wanting to hurt somebody that brought me a truth. And to save their hide, I wasn't obedient to your word. You don't have to go with, with now listen, if you can't present it, remember hands open, remember wash your face before you wash somebody else's? If someone tells you about that and you're like, oh, I'm going to go find out. And you're, well, well, shame on you. You're, you're, you're doing the wrong thing, my friend. But if you take a moment to reflect and ask the Lord to say, God, show me what I did. Let my hands be open. Go to them with open hearts and love. That is a beautiful opportunity to let the Holy Spirit work. Don't deny the Holy Spirit's ability and his opportunity and his desire to want to work. So God, go to others when you have offended them. It's not okay to ignore it if you're made aware of it. It's not okay. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So our last point, and as our worship team comes to close today, our last point answers this question, and here's my question. What happens, okay, because this is real life, right? We live in an imperfect world. What happens if you follow these steps? What happens if you obediently walk through this, that you, you wash your face first, you look at your own sin and guilt before you look at somebody else's? What happens if you go to someone that offends you or you go to someone that you've offended. What happens at the end of that, and there's no reciprocity, there's no response from that person, there's no apology. If they've offended you, there's no apology. If you want to reconcile, but they don't want to reconcile. Where do you go with that? Where do you go with that when you're doing everything that you're supposed to do? And remember, reconciliation doesn't mean the relationship has to look the way that it did before. It just means your hands are open to say, I don't want there to be anything between us and The two of us. And our relationship may not be the same anymore, but what if they just crossed their arms and say, thank you, and they just walk away, and there's nothing in return given to you. What do you do then? Point four. Do what is righteous and leave it to God. I didn't say do what is right. I said do what is righteous. Right and righteous aren't the same thing. You do what is righteous, meaning according to God's standard. According to God's instruction, you do it and you do it honestly with an open heart, and then you leave the consequences to God. He will not hold us accountable when we walk with an attitude of openness. And I can tell you, I have relationships in my life today that I have tried and I've knocked on doors and we've both been at odds with things. And I've said, I want to take another step, but we need to do this. And can we have a conversation? And they're like, nope, 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 nope. And I'm like, okay, we're both responsible for some of this going awry. Can we please have a conversation? Nope, 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 nope. Months become years. Years become decades. And I look at that and go, does God hold me responsible? For that relationship not being reconciled, I believe in my heart of hearts the answer is no. Because when you do everything you can with your hands open to say, I want to do this, here's the next step, and the other person's unwilling, we learn to do what he says in Romans 12, to be at peace with one another. Look at Romans 12, verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We are responsible for our own actions, not for the actions of others. To think every relationship is gonna be nicely, tightly wound up in a little bow and it's gonna be the way that it was before is silly. I would wanna say that that would happen, but we live in an imperfect world and not every person is obedient to what the gospel says. Can I tell you though, and this is powerful, this is powerful. If both parties are submitted to the power of Christ, if both parties are willing to come to the table, and acknowledge their offenses, reconciliation is possible. You may never be best friends. You may never even be in the same church again, but you can look at the other person and will wish them well. You can look at the other person and pray blessings on them. You can desire all of God's blessings for them, whatever they do. You just may not be in direct relationship, but if you run into them in the store, you won't go the other way. If you happen to go to the same church service with them, you're not going to try to find another church service to attend. True reconciliation means you are no longer at war with the other person, even though your relationship may not look like it did before. We do this because God reconciled us to himself, guys. This is not about Paul. It's not about this church. It's not about my opinion. It's about the ministry of reconciliation that God modeled for you and he modeled for me that the apostle Paul reminds us of in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. He says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. You and I are Christ's representation, he's saying. God is making his appeal through you and I, through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. It's the message he's calling us to live. He says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He took the one who never sinned, who never offended anyone. He bore our fence so that we could be in relationship with the Father. Isn't that incredible? And now because of that, with our faith in Christ, we have become part of this ministry of reconciliation. And he invites you and I this morning to say, be reconciled to one another. Be reconciled to God. Let me ask you first, if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you've never chosen to follow Christ, I speak totally directly with you. If you're not reconciled to Christ, you can't reconcile with other people the way that we're called to do it. You have to know Jesus first because he offers you the opportunity of reconciliation. So if you don't know Jesus today... It's your opportunity to take a step today and give your heart to Christ and go, I'm going to give my heart to Christ. I'm going to trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I want to be reconciled with God. Reconciliation is not a blanket invitation for every person without a a, a response from us. It requires a response. The opportunity is given to all, but only some receive it. So do you receive the gift of reconciliation today in Christ? If you have not ever given your heart to Christ, today is a day I want to give you the opportunity to do that. The second question is for anyone who's here who's a follower of Christ. And my questions to you are twofold. One, have you offended anyone that you know you've offended? And is that relationship still strained because it was never reconciled? Can I ask you, what part is God asking you to play in that restoration today? What part is he asking you to play in that? It's not okay to say I know about it, but they don't have the courage to come talk to me about it. If there's something that's wrong that needs to be dealt with, go deal with it and trust that God will give you the courage and the power to do it. Second question is, if you're here today and someone has offended you and hurt you, and there's been a division in your relationship between them and you, are you willing to obediently Look at yourself first and then humbly go to them and have the conversation so that God has an opportunity to build restoration between the two of you or the groups or the couples or the spouses or the children. Don't let days become weeks and weeks become months and months become years. Hear me on this. You will regret it at some point in your life. You will regret it. You can't sit there in a hospital room watching a family member die after not seeing them for 27 years and think in your mind, could there have been a different way? There's always a better way. And the way is Jesus. The way is to do it Jesus way. It's not to do it your way or my way. It's to do it his way. It's to humbly die. And you know what? It's to humbly die to yourself It's to humbly die to yourself because nobody wins in that situation but the devil. He comes to steal. He comes to kill. He comes to destroy, to rob us of the things God has given us. And all we need to do is just obediently acknowledge what Jesus is calling us to do and say, it will be hard, but do it. There are good things on the other side and you know what? If you give everything that you possibly can and there's still no reciprocity, you can stand before God and you can still pray blessings on that individual. You can still pray love over that individual. You can still honor God with your words and your actions towards them and say, God, they don't want to hear it, but I've done everything that I can in your power and in your strength and God does not hold you accountable for their response. Don't let it Wait, we're going to sing this song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Let me ask you this morning, church, and we don't do this every week, but this is going to be my invitation to you. Would you stand with me, please, as we get ready to close? Here's my my invitation to you today. If you're here today and you fit one of those three categories, meaning you've never been reconciled to God and you need to take a chance today or make a decision today and take a step towards God, I'm going to ask you to come up here to the front here at the altar while they're singing this song. And you and God, and you can talk to us about, hey, I want to give my life to Christ today. If you're here today and there's a fence that you've never let go of from somebody else who has hurt you, I wanna invite you to come up to the front today and say, God, teach me and make me the strength to take the step to make it right. And if you're here this morning and you know that you've offended someone else, come up this morning and ask God. This isn't about me to you, it's about you to God. But I'm gonna invite anybody who's here that's wrestling with this to say, during this song, we're gonna touch God's heart as he touches ours. And we're gonna ask him to make us people who are passionately committed to reconciliation. As the team plays, you're welcome to come as we worship.